Take your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and also put your finger there when you get there and go over to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, in a moment we'll read our scripture reading. We come to our last sermon in the series, Behold, a Savior is Born. Back on November 26, Thanksgiving weekend, we talked about how it was prophesied that Jesus would come to earth and to be born through the womb of a virgin. Jared Hall shared on December 3rd the joy of anticipating the birth of the Messiah from the perspective of some different characters in the Christmas story. Two weeks ago, we talked about the servant love of Jesus, how he was born, how he lived and died as a humble servant. Last week, we talked about the prophetic peace and how we can have lasting peace in our lives as Christ followers and as we await the return of the Prince of Peace. This morning, we conclude with the understanding of the gift of waiting that God has given to us. So turn your attention to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And flip over to Zechariah 14 if you have that verse. Verse 4, it says, On that day, Jesus' feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall he split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for the peace and the joy and the hope and the love that we have at this season. And Lord, we can sense it. Wherever we go, we hear Christmas music, we hear the hymns, the carols of this season. And we pray, Lord, that you help us uh, to reflect, to ponder these things, but also to share them with others. And Lord, as we open your word, you would just challenge us, encourage us, meet us at our point of need today. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure all of you share in the frustration and impatience of waiting for something that you want so badly. I can remember counting the days until I would be able to get my driver's license. I thought that would never come, right? I could think about the days leading up to high school and college graduation. I couldn't wait to walk across that stage and get those diplomas and to be finished. At Christmas... My sister and I, we would have advent calendars that our parents would buy us, and they're the kind that had, you open each door and had chocolate inside of it, right, each day. Sometimes we'd try to cheat, but our parents would catch us, right? And uh, you just wanted to keep opening those doors, and you wanted to be able to get through advent so you could get to the pile of presents that we could enjoy. And I can remember getting up as a, a little kid with my sister, so excited before dawn, going downstairs and seeing all those things under the tree that Santa brought us. Well, it's still true for our kids and our grandkids today. And I bet we could all relate to that youthful impatience. And because of that fact, we have a small picture of what God's people went through before Jesus was born. The Old Testament is full of prophetic words about a coming Messiah who would arrive in the future to save God's people from their sins and free them from their oppression. 
These promises were read over and over again. They were spoken as a reminder that God had not forgotten about his people. And the book of Psalms contains many poetic laments about how long the people had waited for God to come through and songs imploring God to remember his promises. Like opening the doors day by day on that Advent calendar, these were like opening the doors leading to Christ's first Advent. The Israelites waited. And God wants us to live with that kind of urgency and anticipation as we think about his second coming. As we look forward this year to Christmas, today and tomorrow, whenever you celebrate that. So our focus today is on the gift of waiting. And there are benefits to waiting, just as they're living in peace and joy even during suffering. God uses that waiting time to draw us into a deeper dependence upon him so we as adults and kids can be looking forward to our celebrations tomorrow about Jesus' birth. Let's also be reminded and be looking forward to with excited anticipation that Jesus is coming soon. Biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope available to us today. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first advent, so both testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. One scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament, where 17 books give it prominence in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second advent of Christ. An amazing one out of 30 verses, 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. And for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first advent, there are eight which look forward to his second coming. Karl Barth, a famous Theologian said this, we can't fathom the second advent of Jesus Christ and we stammer when we try to speak of it. So with all that as a context, let's look at three things this morning. I encourage you to take out your outline if you haven't already and uh, fill in these blanks. It'll help you remember more of the message. First of all, God is at work while we're waiting for his second advent. God is at work while we are waiting for his second advent. As Jesus left planet Earth with the disciples gazing into the sky, as we read in Acts chapter 1, it seems the angels were telling them that Jesus would return someday to the very same spot, but in a different role as they needed to get busy doing the work that Christ had commissioned them to do. We read in that passage in Zechariah, Jesus stepped off at the Mount of Olives. Jesus will return and step foot on the Mount of Olives once again. Jesus told his disciples just before he was arrested two things, to watch and to pray. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we're to watch. We're to be anticipating. We're to be looking to the eastern sky, to the time that Jesus will return. We're to pray. Jesus said that no one knows the day or the hour that he is coming. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And beyond just watching and praying, God reminds his disciples that we're to be about the work of the kingdom until he returns. 
So the third thing there is that we need to serve. We need to serve. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 13, Jesus was telling the disciples and those that were gathered around a parable. And in the parable, he said this about uh, the 10 servants and the master. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds. And he said to them, here's the key phrase, occupy till I come. That means that we are to use our spiritual gifts, our talents, the things that God has given us to serve others, to carry out his kingdom work, to expand God's kingdom so that others will have an eternal home in heaven and life filled with joy everlasting with Jesus. And then watch, pray, serve, hope. Hope with an expectation. Hope with expectation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen to that. That we don't face the wrath of this world that's, that's going to happen during the tribulation period as we read in Revelation. In Philippians 3.20 it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the emphasis on hope, urgency, waiting. Titus 2 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you waiting with anticipation, expectancy for Jesus to return? I want to remind you that one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to, re he's going to defeat sin once and for all. He's going to restore his creation to perfection. And when he arrives, there's not going to be any more sorrow, no more pain, no more wars, no more death. But can we just agree that waiting is not easy? I know I'd love to see these future promises become a reality even today, but God is in control. And he has his reasons for what he does when he does them. We need to learn to be content, but live with this tension in mind to be looking with expectancy for him to return. But while he is waiting, or while we feel like he's waiting, God is working, even though we may not see it. We cannot just sit around staring into the sky, counting the days or the hours until he comes. The good news of Jesus needs to be shared in word and deed, and when we spend our time actively waiting, God shapes us. He molds us into the people he wants us to be. The years of waiting won't be wasted. So how can we thrive when God tells us to wait in our prayer life as we wait for Jesus' second advent? Here's, here's four phrases you might want to write down that are not in your notes. Fear not, trust God. <clears throat> that's one of the things we can be doing while we're waiting. Fear not, trust God. Whether it's waiting for Jesus to return, whether we're waiting for our prayers to be answered, our desires to come to pass. The phrase fear not is in the Bible 365 times, once for every day of the year. And God is saying to us, I don't want you to be afraid. You just need to trust my timing. Second of all, fret not, be patient. Fret not, be patient. Waiting patiently on God 
is a statement of faith. You're complimenting God by saying, God, I trust you. I'm waiting on you. I'm depending on you. Another phrase to think about when you're waiting is forget not. Study God's promises. Chuck Swindoll says that God has given us over 7,000 promises in his word. And he wants us to remember as many of those we can while we're in the waiting room. But you can't claim those promises unless you know them. It's like this. If you have an insurance policy and you haven't read it and you don't know what it covers, you don't know what it will do, you're fearful of having an accident. You're fearful of something happening to your house. But if you know what's in the policy, you don't have to worry. And the Bible is the policy on your life. If you don't read it, if you don't read and study it for yourself, you won't understand what the promises are so you can claim them for yourself. And then faint not, don't give up. Faint not, don't give up. Just because God isn't working on your timetable doesn't mean we should give up. Don't give up on the dream God has given you. Don't give up on the relationship you're struggling to reignite. God hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on him. So our application here is that Christ followers are called to be busy about the work of the kingdom and our relationship with our heavenly father. There's plenty to do. There's plenty to focus on while we're waiting, waiting for his second advent. And though the first advent took place in a small town called Bethlehem with a small audience of shepherds and farm animals, the second advent will be something that cannot be missed. Jesus' birth marked a humble beginning, but his return will be on display for all the world to see. So our second main point is that God will reveal Jesus once again at his second advent. He will reveal himself again at his second advent. Jesus will return as a thief in the night. We need to be ready because we don't know just when Jesus' return will occur, but we live each day as if it may be our last. But we also plan for the next 10 years. And we hold that loosely and, and with tension in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 24, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let this house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. He's going to come all of a sudden, unexpectedly, especially for many in this world. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be surprised. The other thing we see here is Jesus will be seen by the entire world. As I've been studying this one verse all week, I've just been thinking about what this must be like. It says in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. We know from Matthew 24 that Jesus is going to come out of the eastern sky. In a few moments, we're going to read from Revelation 19, that event, when he does. But when he comes, the heavens are going to be rolled back. And I wonder if Jesus is just going to be so large that everyone in the world is going to be able to see him at the same time. Because it says, every eye will see him. It's a sobering thought that the whole world at one time will see Jesus coming in all of his glory and judgment. 
It's surprising as I've been reading through Revelation this December, how those non-believers during the tribulation period know that the wrath and judgment of God is from God and is coming on them. And it says repeatedly, they curse God, they scorn God, and they would not repent of their ways. They know, they know who God is and they know where this judgment is coming from. Thirdly, under this point, Jesus will come to judge the living nations. Jesus will come a second time physically to earth to judge the living nations. Now you can listen as I read this. It's a lengthy passage in Revelation 19. You can turn there if you'd like. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. These verses are not on the screen. Revelation 19, but this talks about the very event of Jesus coming back. It says, then I saw, John said, the writer opened, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, and then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And John said, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against Jesus who was sitting on the horse and against his army, and the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns like sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Kind of a gross thought. A little different than the little baby Jesus coming in Bethlehem full of grace and truth, isn't it? He's going to come back to judge and to be the conquering king. This is the battle of Armageddon, the last battle before Christ set up his rule and reign on earth to start his 1,000-year millennial reign from Jerusalem. Now, last week in our Connect group, it was interesting, Terry Canwright was teaching, and he uh, shared uh, some information from a book called The World of the End. It says in that book, if you ever visit the Karnak complex in Egypt, you'll view some of the oldest ruins in history, including decayed temples, chapels, and residences in Luxor. On the wall of the temples, you see, you'll see this Egyptian hieroglyphics that provides a description of the first recorded war in the history of the world. This is fascinating. The battle took place, according to Egyptian hieroglyphics, April 16th, 1457 B.C., before Christ. A pharaoh from Egypt and a people from the tribe of the Canaanites were going to go to battle. 10,000 people on both sides. And where was that battle fought? 
in the valley of Megiddo, and the Egyptians routed the Canaanites there. According to the New York, a New York Times article, out of 3,400 years of recorded history, only 268 years have been without any war. That's 8% of all recorded history. It's estimated over a billion people over time have been killed in wars. In the 20th century alone, it's estimated 108 million people were killed in wars. That's why the odds are not in favor for the United Nations and for those desiring world peace because there will not be world peace until the Prince of Peace comes back to planet Earth. And so as we think about that, the first battle that's recorded in history is in Megiddo. The last battle is going to be at the very same place. What this means is that we must live each day as if it could be today. Now, when Jesus returns, and I, I'm, I'm one who believes in the rapture, I believe that Jesus is going to come in the clouds. He's going to take those who are dead in Christ uh, in the grave and those who are alive at that time and take them up to meet him in the air. And then the tribulation period will occur. And what we've been talking about today is at the end of that tribulation period when Jesus physically comes back to earth. And when this time comes, we need to realize and we need to be prepared that when Jesus returns, Revelation says that all the peoples of the earth will be in mourning. Jesus will come as a conquering king to right every wrong, to uh, take care of all injustices and destroy Satan's grip on the world and its people. So we must live ready because in the end, we were all going to give an account of our life. We'll be judged what we did with the grace and mercy offered to us on the cross when Jesus died. Did we believe? Did we receive the gift of love or did we reject his offer? So our application is this. Jesus came the first time as Savior full of grace the second time he comes, he will come as the judge of sin and evil. He will come as the judge of sin and evil. He will right every wrong. And after the thousand year reign, he will make a new heaven and a new earth. So be confident that God is at work. And while we wait for his return, he will reveal himself when he returns for all to see. And then our last point today is that God will make the wait so worth it at a second advent. It will be so worth it. And that's what I want to drive home for this last point of application. We have so many Christians, so many Christian leaders that are throwing it all away. But trust me, it's going to be worth it. When something takes too long, we're always tempted to throw in a towel, aren't we? Whether it's standing in the line at the DMV, waiting for a pot of water to boil, we're counting down the hours until we hit to open the presence. When things take too long, we grow weary. And today I want to encourage you to remain faithful, to continue to endure and don't give up the fight. Jesus in heaven will more than reveal it is worth all we go through in this life to enter the joy promised to us. And I can tell you 30 seconds after we're walking on the streets of gold, all that we went through will go away because we'll see our Savior. And all of that will be behind us. And as we said before, we'll walk in the joy of our Master. We won't have pain, suffering anymore. It's worth it. Never-ending delight that we will live in. The book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author to a young church 
who is tempted to give up on their faith in Christ. Over and over, the author begs his listeners to remain steadfast, to receive the blessed rest of God that was promised long ago. In Hebrews 9.28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here are a few predictions for us as believers to consider. First of all, Christ's followers will meet with Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm looking forward to this great event because the Bible describes the church as the bride and Jesus as the bridegroom. And as we read here in Revelation 19, I don't know if we're going to have this giant table to sit around or what it is, but we're going to be united. We're going to be joined together with Christ. All we have are these three verses in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's what our clothing will be. And also, as we think about that, the promise in Romans chapter 8 that we will be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In verse 16 of Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I don't know what that looks like. Jesus owns the universe. Does that mean that we're going to have carte blanche to be able to enjoy all the benefits of the universe? I kind of think so. We're going to be joint heirs with Christ. Another thing to consider is Christ followers, we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to all stand before Christ and give an account of our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We're going to be judged for our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our motivation for service, And Matthew 12 says even the words that we've said. But notice what we will not be judged for. We will not be judged for our sin as a believer because they're removed from our account because the blood of Christ has washed away all of our sin. And then the third thing we need to consider, Christ's followers will be rewarded for all of eternity because of their faithful service to the Lord. There's five crowns listed in the Bible In the New Testament, we see the imperishable crown, faithful endurance to live for Christ to the end of life, to say no to sin and to live a disciplined life. The crown of rejoicing is awarded to those who lead other people to saving faith in Christ. The crown of righteousness, those who long for heaven and to see Jesus face to face. The crown of glory, those Christian workers who are faithful in their service to the Lord, pastors, elders, deacons, deaconesses, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers, ministry team leaders, and more. And then the crown of life, those who are faithful to love, 
faithful in their love for Christ to overcome persecution, temptation, and even for some facing martyrdom. These are the rewards that will be given out when we see Christ. And when he returns, it will be save those who are eagerly anticipating the second advent. We're going to be saved from the wrath to come. It promises us that in 1 Thessalonians 5, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain <clears throat> excuse me, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So it begs the question then, are you eagerly waiting for Jesus to come again? Does it ever cross your mind? Do you live as if it's true and eminent? For the Christians who believe that Jesus will return for his church one day, this should impact how we live our lives day by day. Oswald J. Smith said this, we talk of the second coming, but half of the world has never heard of his first coming. And while we sing our festive hymns together today and tonight and celebrate the saving grace that was given to us through the birth of Jesus, we must remember there are people just down the road from us who've never heard that God sent his son because he loves them. There may be people in your very family who've never heard this wonderful news. We may and must not grow weary of waiting, and yet we must not grow weary of sharing so that others might know the joy of God's love. That beloved hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, she loves sharing the gospel. In 1869, she wrote a famous hymn called Rescue the Perishing. And when asked about the song, she said it was written following a personal experience at the New York City Bowery Mission. She went on to explain that she would go once a week and meet with her guys at the mission field or at the mission uh, seat in the city there. And one night while speaking to them, she kept having the thought that there was some boy present who had wandered away, who was not a believer in Christ and would miss being with his mom who was already in heaven. She made a plea to each boy through that service. And at the end, one boy came and said, I think that's me. She said, I, he said, I don't think I'm going to be with my mom in heaven because of the way I'm living my life. And Fanny Crosby led him to the Lord. And as they finished, he said, now I'm ready to meet my mother in heaven because I have found God. So this Christmas, as we remember the first advent <clears throat> and we wait for the second one, may we have the heart of Fanny Crosby to tirelessly pursue those who are far from God. Perhaps today you sense that you want to find God. And I've got good news. Jesus has been born to you and you can receive his grace for yourself today. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to invite him into your heart. But our last application is this. May Christ followers at this Christmas season be reminded that as we talk about Christ's second advent, that many around us haven't yet heard of his first advent. Look for opportunities to have spiritual conversations around the Christmas dinner table in the next few days. But Jesus left a challenge for those of us who've been Christ followers down through the centuries. In Luke 7, it says, and, you, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, and here's the question he challenges us with, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? Our key thought, will Jesus find that we were faithful when he returns? That's the challenge for us at this Christmas, to look to him with expectancy for his second coming. As we close today, maybe you're here and maybe you've never received Christ as Savior. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you pray that prayer and it's from your heart, it's not just uh, reciting words. The Bible says that if you believe in Christ, that you will receive this gift of eternal life. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. And I can't think of a better day to receive that gift than as we think about the celebration of Jesus' birth. We have to come to God and realize and admit that we're sinners. We have to be in agreement with God that we have sinned and we've broken his laws. We're guilty of judgment. But we come with humble hearts saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood, for paying the price for my sin, for being my substitute, for taking the wrath of God by dying on the cross and by asking you to forgive me my sin, to turn away from my sin, and ask you to come into my heart to be my Savior. According to 1 John 5.13, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life by believing on his name. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not sure that you have that gift of eternal life. You're not sure that you know that you know that you know that you'll be in heaven with him. Just like that young man that Fanny Crosby was talking to. Just pray in your heart quietly this prayer. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I realize that I'm a sinner. I'm guilty of breaking your laws. But I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Help me turn away from my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood so that I could have forgiveness of sin. And I ask you now to come into my heart, take control of my life, and help me to look forward to being with you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I just encourage you today to let someone know that you did that because it's the greatest decision you can make. And it's the first step in growing a relationship with Christ.